Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is three stages behind the MCU in its evolutionary phases. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we have been watching, including a little bit of Stranger Things and the Boys to stay on trend. We've got real news and our main review is Thor, Love and Thunder. But before we dig in, James... I'm not wearing any pants. Okay. How does that make you feel? Bit uncomfortable. Not nothing. You wearing no? Oh no no no! I've got boxes on. All right. Okay. That uh, I was almost going to do that, but got to turn your camera off. Do it now. (laughs) I feel. I feel okay. I feel. That's fine. That's fine. I think. Are you wearing socks? Are you wearing socks? Am I hellas like wearing socks in this weather? No, you must be mad. You're not, are you? I'm wearing socks. Right, this is all backwards. What's wrong with you? Well, when I don't wear socks and it's hot, I feel like my feet are getting more sweaty. But when I'm wearing socks, the socks absorb any any liquid that might be excreted from my feet, and that feels better. Oh, I feel a bit physically sick right now. (laughs) Shall we move on? Yes. Before we do, famous English illusionist slash mind control magician. What's his name? Many Channel 4 TV specials. Paul McKenna? No, more current than that. David Blaine's American, is he? Yeah. No, I don't know who who this is. All right. Paul Daniels. (laughs) Not Paul Daniels. Um, More current, I said. It's fine. This joke isn't going to work then. It's Darren Brown. Yeah. Okay. So Darren, right? I went seeing him at the weekend and apparently I was hypnotized, but he can't back that up. Darren is spelled D-E-R-R-E-N. Okay. Yeah. How would you say that? Darren Brown. Darren. How would you say it? Darren. No. Darren Brown. Because if if I say Darren with an A or an E, it should just sound the same, in my opinion, unless, as people have told me, it is different. Hence my slight pronunciation of Darren, which I think emphasises it. <sighs> it's gone down a rabbit hole here. I don't know why I brought that up. It just annoyed me, because uh, I don't think there's any difference between the two, but whatever. Okay, that's fine. Should we pivot? Should I pivot us away and I'll give you an anecdote and what I've been watching? That sounds very good to me. So I finally watched Top Gun Maverick, Believe the Hype. It's brilliant. Just everything that's been said about it is true. It's shocking how good it is. Oh, glad to hear that. It, I expected fully, nothing less. Yeah, it, it really, it's the most live up to the hype thing I've seen recently. So I was in there and it had already been out for a while. Almost empty cinema, medium sized screen. Only about 10 people there. Three, uh, Three males arrived late, a bit chatty. That's fine. Trailers are still on. Phone light on to find your seat. I'll forgive it. Sit down, give them time to settle. Give them time to settle. Film starts. Still a bit of chatting. I'll let it go. An hour in, there's still there's still some like running commentary after every scene. And I was determined to enjoy this film. So in an almost empty cinema, I was on the edge. They were two rows back in the middle. In the empty cinema, I stood up and turned round and shouted at them and said, will you be quiet? You've been talking the whole time. Just stop. 
and then they did a confused look, turned round even to look for someone behind them, even though there was no one behind them. There's only 10 people here. And I said, yes, you. And I was pointing, I was saying, yes, you just stop. And one of them said, don't point fingers in it. Because I was literally pointing my fingers at them. Sat back down, silence, silence for the rest of the film. Silence from everyone in the cinema and them. And I enjoyed it. That's brilliant. I've, I think we've spoke about it a few times, but I've always felt very uncomfortable in those situations where you've done it previously, despite me really wanting you to do it. Um, and I can only say that it always has the desired effect. It's yeah. never really gone out of control where somebody's like squared up to you from memory. No, it's no, it's you're right. You are right. And I think it's because I don't think there's any malicious talking. I think people just don't think they don't think about the impact that's going to have. And then when someone says, well, you just shut your stupid mouth, they think, actually, okay, we have been talking. That's been causing a disturbance. So fair enough. We'll be quiet now. So you you are on the side of, of people still possess logic and reason. That's, that's the bit that worries me. Yeah, that's where that's where I'm at at the moment, yeah. I'm, it's people, genu- people are not thinking. It's not... We don't care about anyone. Let's ruin everything. They're just not thinking. Yeah. So lesson learned. If you're having your cinema experience hampered by a couple of idiots, stand up for yourself. Speak up. I don't. That's why I go to cinema with James, so he can do it for me. <laughs> oh, so Top Gun will not feature as one of your watch list reviews, will it? No, it won't. I'm just well, transitioning. I'm going to talk about laws from, from now. Okay. Go. So I so I did Top Gun, and in a previous episode, I don't remember which one it was, we talked about the fact that I think we were, we were doing Scream, and we said we should talk about less mainstream films instead of recommending big films. So this is a film-only watch list. It's like a what to watch instead of Thor, Love and Thunder. Number one, not necessarily a non-mainstream film, on Paramount+, Plus, now available in the UK, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Oh, right. Which I didn't know was out, didn't know it existed, but it is brand new out now. And it's with Mike Judge back writing and doing the voices. If you watch Beavis and Butthead when you were younger and you liked it, then watch this. I think when Beavis and Butthead was first out, maybe I was too young to appreciate the nuance of it. But watching Beavis and Butthead do the universe, got to be honest, I was chuckling lightly pretty much all the way through do i do us a bit of an audio demonstration no (laughs) (laughs) i don't think it'll sound good for podcast purposes what it is about is that beavis and butthead join a space program and they think that doing it they think that doing this mission with this attractive astronaut means that they're going to sleep with her. So they they think that they're going to score with this female astronaut, but they're actually going to go on a space mission. Things go wrong. They get thrown into a black hole and they get sent to the future, to present day, and they deal with iPhones and other modern things, but mainly an iPhone. And it's Beavis and Butthead being idiots in the modern world. A little bit of comment, a little bit of social commentary as well, but doesn't overdo it, but it's the juvenile humor 
about phallic objects and wordplay that I did like a lot. They are they're captured by some FBI guys and they're listening to a conversation and someone says there could be deep state assets and one of the what beavis or butthead says she said eight ass <laughs> deep state assets it's stuff like that for 90 minutes i really enjoyed it beavis and butthead do the universe on paramount plus which just goes to show it doesn't matter how old you are dick jokes never get old no if you a certain character i fall into that camp what else have you been watching over on Shudder, there's a stop-motion film called Mad God from visual effects legend Phil Tippett, who has worked on lots of films, including Star Wars. All the reviews say, oh, Phil Tippett, Phil Tippett, oh, the great Phil Tippett. I don't know who he is, all right? I don't know. Okay? But this Mad God, it's a stop-motion film made over 20, 25 years. There's no dialogue. You have to infer the story from what you're seeing on screen. It's about an assassin, a masked assassin, descending through a nightmarish world of underground terrors where there's torture and slavery. He appears to be delivering something somewhere. That's the first half. Very distinct break for like the second half of the film where it's sort of a repeat, but things go much worse it's incredibly gruesome. There's some live action footage spliced in and it starts to get very cerebral, very trippy. It's not for everyone, but if you just want to watch something different, something that is unlike most things you've ever seen before, I would say watch Mad God just to see here is a completely different way of telling a story of doing effects if you have any interest in animation or special effects just watch it even if it's just the first half which is much simpler and you can you can tell the cutoff point very clearly just watch the first part to see all the imaginative horrific imagery and torture of this hellish place i enjoyed it mad god and that's on shudder yes on shudder yes very good. I do intend on watching that and very glad to hear that you recommend it. I did hear that it was a bit too depressing of a world to live in for 90 minutes, but I think you've convinced me otherwise, so I might just do that. Last one that I watched in the cinema, it's now available to rent where all online rental purchases are possible. Pleasure, which is a film directed and written by Ninja Thyberg, which is a great name. It is about a woman, I think, from Sweden. She travels to America to become an adult film star. You know what I mean by that. Born. Yeah. And it is about how you get into that industry. It's not great. Not great. Not a great experience, really. And it's a very raw look at how it can go badly quite quickly and the decisions that this character faces and i did want it to be better i thought it would be the zola of the year which was about the world of strippers that was one of my top five films that was really funny it doesn't reach that level it's okay it's okay of interest is that they use 
real life adult film stars and producers to do the scenes, which gives it a bit more reality. So it's just, it has that interesting angle to it for one thing. I'd still recommend it. How do you know that? I know because when I looked it up, there are headlines saying that the, the people that were in it, they've apparently said that they were misled about how it would present the industry. And they've said that, well, we, we didn't want to make a film that was showing how horrible everything is. I believe you. I do believe yep. you. Yep. I, Thank you. I, I can see James. I can see the honesty within his eyes. I've accepted it. Thank you. Yeah, great. I've watched half of that and I enjoyed it. Don't know why I didn't revisit it. The guy, there is there is a really prolific adult film agent in this. Yeah, yeah. And I was very confused because, yeah, I, I, whilst I didn't make it the whole way through, I thought, this is odd that they're portraying it in such a light, and yet these people have agreed to it and aren't actually... They're in scenes that it's obvious that it's not. Yeah. Yeah, so I, don't, I find, found it quite odd. But, no, it is interesting from that aspect alone. Uh, if you ever watched any of the... Louis Theroux porn documentaries, you'll, you'll see some characters crop back up from there. So, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward in its criticism, but it does have an interesting ending. Okay. I will, I will watch the rest then. So that's pleasure. Available to rent. It's not on streaming services. And that was the last of your watch list this week? That's the last of my three films to watch instead of Thor. Daniel, what about you? What have you been watching? First off is Big Boys on Channel 4. Have you heard of this? Is this about a friendship between two likeable lads? It is. It is. So it's sort of, well, I say sort of, it's a semi-autobiographical comedy uh, by writer Jack Rook. And it's set in 2012. And what I don't get about this is described as following two mismatched friends as they strike up an unlikely friendship. I'm doing inverted commas because I'm a, a knob. Um, and one of them's like the introverted one of the bunch. He's gay and he's quite excited to embark on this uni adventure and he feels like he can be more of himself um, than he can at home because his mum and his surrounding family still don't know because uh, he's not come out yet. Uh, he's paired up with Danny, who is more of a lad's lad and is a lot more loud and outgoing. So, yes, I can see why it's described as mismatched and unlikely friendship, but why? Why is it described as that? And I think the description is a bit of a disservice to the messaging of the show itself, because the writer, um, I read an article within The Guardian that's, that's titled, Why It's Time to Celebrate TV's Most Neglected Relationship, The Straight Best Mate, and that is what, this does but in a very effortless way so it doesn't it's not like his friend danny coming to terms with the fact that he's got a gay roommate it's just accepted immediately and they bond with one another and they become their sort of support structure as such and it's just so nicely and and deftly done it's just really not heavy-handed it's not in your face um and i just enjoyed it for all those reasons really it might seem a bit serious because of what I said, but it's, it's not. It's just really well written. And I think I would say there's some meat to it in terms of the story and, you know, how the characters grow as it goes along, because there are there are scenes of people getting high and 
you know, putting a thesis together whilst they're watching Judge Rinder stoned. And then there's another scene where somebody's shitting themselves silly after a drunken night out only to try and hide the evidence. But it's a lot more poignant than that would allude to. It's uh, it, it handles things like there's, there's mental health that's raised in this, but again, not in a heavy way and not in your face. Doesn't feel contrived, I would say. Um, and it, it does everything with the right level of sensitivity. So it is really funny, but it's just heartfelt at the same time. And I just think this is really, really well written and I would highly recommend it to people. Uh, meat. <laughs> so what you're saying is it manages to have those ridiculous comedy scenes without compromising the overall tone and feel of the of the piece. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Because it's like a big story beat in this is that, that Jack, the semi semi autobiographical character, his dad's died, and that's quite a heavy subject. But it doesn't feel like it in this. But it's just really nice that they've got the balance of having it there, having it actually have an emotional impact, but not letting it overshadow the comedy. It's, it's just balanced perfectly. Something for Taika Waititi to take, take note of, I think. That's what two else? comments now. What else have you been watching? Probably not a shock to you. Girl in the picture. So... As, as you know, James, it, it's a real rarity for me to stumble across a true crime story that I know nothing about. But that is what happened with this new Netflix true crime documentary. Worth noting that is directed by, don't know her name because I haven't wrote it down, but the woman who directed Abducted in Plain Sight, and James is going to look that up for me so that we don't do her a disservice, um, which is, without a doubt, Abducted in Plain Sight, the most... What the hell is going on? True crime documentary I have seen in years. So knowing that, this had some pretty big boots to fill and I was expecting it to be equally batshit crazy. It's not, but it's still pretty out there and it does prove that, I suppose, to nick an old phrase, straight, you know, reality is stranger than fiction sometimes because you could not write this you could not write this. It is mental, but not as mental as abducted in plain sight. So starts off with this hit and run of a stripper in America in the 80s. And her significantly older husband falls into the spotlight. And then it unravels this case of mistaken identities, abduction, abuse, and eventually what we're all after, a bit of murder. And you get 30 minutes into this and pretty much everything that I've already said, detail to boot, is there. And you think, how is there 80 minutes of this to go? Surely not. It does not warrant this runtime. But just when you think you've got to grips with where the story's going, it does a very sharp turn and it introduces even more twists to unsettle you. So it's, it's definitely a wild case. I'm not sure it's presented in the most thrilling of fashions, but... You know, maybe it doesn't need all that sort of sensationalism. It's, it's just the facts laid out for you, which are enough. So uh, definitely one of the better Netflix true crime documentaries uh, with a compelling story. So, yes, Girl in the Picture. Directed by Sky Borgman. Thank you, James. 
number one piece content on Netflix. Oh, is it? Yep. All right. Just trying to stick with the trends. Yeah, looks good. I saw it and I thought, I'll save myself time. I'll just read a summary of the story, which I did. Five minutes done. It's, it's extremely shocking. It's, it's actually unbelievable, the story. And that, that's the bit, even though I've said all those things, I never felt in the moment whilst watching it, oh, no, but maybe I've just had too much of it. Yeah. I'm numb to it now, so you cannot shock me. What else have you been watching? Well, should we just dig into what we've both been watching and finishing yes. over the recent weeks? Should we start off with Stranger Things? Yes. Just as I said, as promised, I have finished it. I watched the remaining two episodes on, on the Monday after they were released. I was very proud of myself for catching up that much. What a return to form. What a return to form. Season two is three, two and three. Enjoyable. Not as good as season one. Season three especially. It's too neon. It felt like a minor skirmish in comparison to whatever the wider story is supposed to be. Hopper turned into a comedy character. By the end of it, me and the wife, we were saying this is all getting a bit silly now. Series four, the high school stuff, the relationship between Eleven and Will, the return of a certain character and his relationship with Elle, it all worked really well. And the villain, Vecna, he's like borderline iconic. The design is so good. Every time Vecner was on screen, I loved it. I was extremely satisfied. I didn't have a problem with the length of the episodes, except for sometimes explanations for things went on a bit long. So when Vecner's explaining his motivations for things, it goes on and on and on and on and on. You think, I get it. I already, know, I already understand your motivations. Just stop. And there's a number of scenes. I'll just give you one example. There's a number of scenes where characters seem to take a while to realize things but you already know so what's the main character mike he's trying to figure out the the number that they need to get and he realizes that this dying uh, bodyguard gave him a pen and he realizes oh he didn't give me the pen to write something he gave me the pen because there's something in the pen and it's a light bulb moment but the way it plays out is actually he gave me a pen but when he gave me the pen he didn't write anything down. He just handed me the pen. Why could that be? I see there's a character over there. He's trying to write something with the pen, but the pen doesn't work. You can't write anything with the pen. So why would this, this bodyguard give me a pen that doesn't write? There must be something else about the pen that I need to think about. What could that be? Why would he just give me the pen? Could it be that there's something inside the pen. I'll slowly walk over to the pen and pick up the pen. I'll unscrew the pen. Could there be something inside the pen? I'll exchange a look with the other characters while I think about unscrewing this pen. And I'll unscrew it, and then I'll slowly take something out of the pen, and I'll roll it open, and I'll look at it, and then we'll, we'll look at each other a bit more, and then we'll read out what this, the, the thing says that I've just taken out of this pen. There's too many scenes like that. Oh, sorry. I love that little journey that we went on there. I, I completely agree with the Vecna motivations bit, even though 
I think I text you, standout episode for me. It brought a lot of things together. It was overdone. But by the end of the episode, I almost didn't care because I'd almost just been like, oh, my word, I did not see you wrapping that up in a nice bow. So, yeah, I, I don't disagree, but I don't think it suffered too much because of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think it really suffered either. And I, I normally I don't like it where they do, they, they try to link everything back to season one and link it all together. It it works. It just, it just about works to try to link it all together and that just makes this season feel epic and significant but there's too many characters they need to start killing people off yes yes millie bobby brown's come out and said that hasn't she which was a bit dangerous um but she's not wrong because otherwise we're just gonna get but we're not gonna care about the majority of you it's already happening looking at you will yeah piece of cardboard yeah it's funny that terrible the original um the original four boys, for me, they're the they're like the least interesting people in the program. Like I'm more I'm more about Robin, Max, L obviously, and Steve and Eddie than the that the original four. It's like they don't know what to do with them anymore. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe they are somehow paving the way to doing them more of a service in the next season because they, they were given a bit of a short shrift this time around. But yeah, I um and I'll tell you what, I personally think Millie Bobby Brown is a fantastic actress after yeah. this season. I don't know if I just didn't notice in the previous one, but in this I just she has a lot demanded of her, I think, from an emotional standpoint in terms of her performance and she just brings her air game scene after scene she's, she's very 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 good she's great yeah having binge watched all of it from one to four yeah she is really good especially considering that in the first season she doesn't talk a lot and then by the fourth one she's a fully communicating human being mm. yeah, yeah she's very good um and the same goes for a lot of the cast Sadie sink as max she's really good in it as well but um what was the other oh might as well just ask a question do, do were you a wreck Final episode for you, Rick. Did you cry? No, I wasn't crying. Sorry. Oh, right. Okay. I, I was. I was not in a fit state to talk to for at least fifteen minutes. So, okay. yeah. But my only criticism is it has a bit of a Return of the King style four endings during the final yeah. episode, and I thought, come on. But weirdly, every time I was like, "You are dragging it on now." I still cared about each of those individual bits. And by the end of them, I was like, that's fine. Fair enough. You've, you've wormed me around on it. Yeah, the Return of the King ending did happen. Again, it was if, it, if they had a shorter episode length, they could just sum it up with a very informative montage with music over it. But they did a five-minute scene for each thing. It could have just been Robin and that girl look at each other, start talking. Steve gives a nod of approval. But that was a five-minute scene of them awkwardly talking to each other instead. And then Steve does a nod of approval. But yeah, as you said at the beginning, a triumphant return to form. And now I'm very much looking forward to season five. Um, and it just goes to show, I don't like the whole reason we've dropped down to doing this fortnightly is that neither of us can make commitments to just watch this much content every week. But I purposely turned my life upside down 
to watch this and it and it felt like a real like event television like I was part of a moment and I can't actually remember the last time that that happened so yeah just just all in all a very very worthwhile experience and I'm glad to say that after not really wanting to watch season four yeah. what a turnaround yeah the last time I felt like there was a television event was probably the end of Breaking Bad oh yeah yeah where it felt that. like this is this is an event to get involved in, but I did it the right way this time. We're not going to get into that. Again. <laughs> Another, uh, but the boys also felt like uh, an event worth watching because that was weekly release and that's finished. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. The, I think the ending was maybe a, a cop out in some ways, but it's the best thing going at the moment. The boys, I think it's great. It stays true to stays true to its characters and ideas. The tone balance between that, which there's totally ridiculous humour, but also these two characters in particular have a fully serious scene with each other, which works as well. It's awesome. Are you referring to friendship? No, no. Oh, I mean, okay. A-Train and his brother. Ah, okay. Again, agree. I'd, I'd, I'd read that there was some disappointment with the finale before I actually watched it. It dampened my expectations. So when I saw it, I thought actually that was that was not that bad. That was that was all right. But I do agree that it kind of resets the stakes a bit, and it, and it did feel that a lot of this season was a bit superfluous in a way because it's like. Mm. But it, it again, it makes sense narratively in terms of what happens. I guess it's just frustrating that it doesn't go where I thought it was going to go. But nonetheless, it ends dramatically. I'm still hyped for the next season, uh, and I'm not taken away from what was what was a great season of entertainment. It is one of the best things on TV. I completely agree. Before we go on to real news, I've got a quiz for you. Yes, guess that film where I'll give you. One positive review, one negative review, and you have to guess the film based on that. You can ask five hints and or questions. Are you ready? Do it. Okay. Positive review. Intricate enough for adults to enjoy, family-friendly enough for kids to enjoy. The original film in this franchise was one of my favourite movies as a kid, so I was sceptical about this one at first. But as more trailers came out, I started getting excited. It seemed fun and like it would add good lore to the original series. But I was honestly super surprised at just how good this movie is. I didn't expect that deep of a plot with intricate twists, quotes and life lessons. Character development was amazing and it was still family friendly, action packed and funny. So the kids can enjoy it while the parents get a good movie too that feels nostalgic, but is still brand new. I don't have enough good words for it. Can't wait to go again. And I need my own socks robot immediately. Socks robot? That's right. Yes. Okay. Negative review. Unprecedented. Go on. No, 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 no. Go, go, go. I was just, yeah. I was trying to think out loud, but ignore me. Negative review, unprecedented failure. The story itself is very basic. I expected novelty and something out of the box that would make the character so special to be a merchandised thing. 
<laughs> something that they invested very heavily on is the animation. It was so finely done and extraordinary, but again, the story fails to embrace animation and therefore people were less and less interested in continuing to watch the movie, checking their phones, ETC. I always viewed this studio as not only an animation studio, but storytelling geniuses, which made their films very distinctive and unique compared with other animation studios. However, I can explicitly say that they failed on this one miserably in the storytelling parts, which they usually, typically pioneering. Firstly, thank you very much for being a gentleman. You've obviously given me a road to go down, so I appreciate that. I already had from the first review a guess in my head and now that I'm almost certain that it's Pixar, I don't know whether to just come right out of the gates and say what it is, but what are the rules now? If I say the film and it's wrong, it's done, isn't it? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's 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 sort of... All right, okay. Monsters University. No. Right, okay. Is this... Is this one of the first three... Well, it's not going to be the first, no. Is this a Toy Story film? Yes. Is it not part of the original franchise? No. No, it's not. No, it's not part of the... Is this Toy Story Halloween special? No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, no, it's Lightyear. That is correct. Yes, yes it's Lightyear. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. I did give you hints within there. I think you can tell where I've, I've edited out some key terms like toy and Pixar. <laughs> but I still got it. Still in my eyes, remarkably kind. So um, don't think that I'll do the same to you next time, Frank. Yes. Lightyear. Just failed miserably by all accounts. It has, hasn't it? And we never even, because just as a sign of our extreme level of influence, is that we never even discussed it as a possibility for a main review. We just never even mentioned it to each other once. I had no desire to watch that film, even prior to knowing it existed after I watched Toy Story 3, because that was awful. Oh, no, no, four. They did a four. That's how bad it is. I'd forgotten that it was the fourth one. Three is amazing. Four, you've ruined it. Yeah. Anyway, real news? Yes. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. I've seen a number of articles on this theme this week in the wake of the Thor Love and Thunder release. This one is from Forbes in the games section, which seems like a, an administrative error. From Black Widow to Thor, Love and Thunder, why does the MCU Phase 4 feel so aimless? People have started to take note that the last, that the people have started to take note, come on, Forbes, this is sloppy. People have started to take note that the last, that the luster is starting to fade a little bit from Marvel projects. There's still billions of dollars coming coming in, but things feel a bit different. We're supposedly halfway through the phase, the first one where Disney Plus series joined the movies. Things have felt a little bit weird. And he goes on to try and pin down 
why things don't really seem to work as a cohesive unit. They may be individually great ones here as there, but as a whole, phase four feels off in a few ways. And he goes on to look at each project within phase four and concludes that there's no clear direction at this point regarding forming a new Avengers team. The multiverse introduction makes everything low stakes and the Disney Plus shows ride an awkward line between kind of being a TV series, but mostly being lower budget movies that are chopped into six 30 to 50 minute episodes with unclear indications about the future. We'll see how things go from here. Thanks, Paul Tassi. It's one of a few articles that have come out this week. And again, showing how influential we are. We, I think we, did I declare, or did we both declare superhero fatigue and just said it's, it's getting a bit much now? Not really into it, can't be bothered. Something's not quite right with Marvel. I think we both have, and I think mine began around Black Widow time. So it's been a while that I've had this fatigue. It's still not getting any better. <laughs> um, I say that, I've just watched Thor Love and Thunder, which was great. We'll reveal later on yeah yeah Yeah, do you know what that article and something i listened to earlier on in the week i never really because i've become so disassociated with marvel how pointless this phase seems like what i don't know what we're building up to at this point i don't (laughs) i just don't maybe i haven't consumed enough of the content to, to accurately say that and people will shoot me for it but yeah no i think Everyone's feeling the same thing. We're, we're neatly building up to this main review, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Should we continue the build-up? We shall. With this week's director at the helm of Law. Law. I keep calling it Law Thoven Thunder, which is this, not... This isn't Star Trek, the next generation, Data's brother. Continue. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have got that, but obviously. Um, Taika Waititi. He is not as... Not in any of these news articles. He's not in hot water, but in my opinion, he should be. Apparently, he asked Natalie Portman if she had any desire to star in the Star Wars films, as he's now working on a new project as part of the Star Wars universe, forgetting that she was in the prequels. Now, <laughs> hilarious anecdote, but does that really make anyone have faith in him helming a Star Wars film if he doesn't know that Natalie Portman was in the prequels or he's forgotten. I mean, come on. It's quite, it's quite bad. I just want to, I want to know what, what was he thinking? What was he thinking? Did he genuinely just forget? Did he just forget when he asked her and it was just a moment of madness? And after that, he was like, oh yeah, of course, sorry. And that was it. But then the story gets retold without him saying, oh, yeah, of course, I forgot about that. Or did he actually not know? Well, I'll read the wording. Natalie said to me, this is Taika speaking, what do you do next? And I said, I'm trying to work on a Star Wars thing. Star Wars thing. Don't even like that wording. And I don't like Star Wars. Anyway, have you ever wanted to be in a Star Wars movie? And then she said, I've been in Star Wars movies, to which he responded with a laugh. I forgot about those. Even more insulting to her as an actress. Yeah. 
So that's that's the exchange broken down. And maybe he was just thinking flippantly, oh, this is quite a funny conversation we had. I don't think it is, mate. It's not funny. It's not funny. No. Is he trying to be cool and dismiss the prequels, which is actually the less fashionable. It's fashionable now to appreciate the prequels, especially after Obi-Wan Kenobi linked the two trilogies together. But this this issue, this, 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 this incident speaks to a wider point about these these people, these stars, they don't care about these franchises. They don't care. They don't care, which is fine, but they don't care and don't think that they do. For example, Christian Bale was interviewed on the red carpet for for Love and Thunder, and he was asked about Robert Pattinson playing Batman, and he said, I've not seen it. I've not seen it. I've not seen I'm sure he's great, but I'm sorry I've not seen it. I don't watch a lot of films, so, yeah, I've not seen it. So he's he's not watched Batman. He's probably not watched all the MCU films, so it, they, they're not bothered. And Ray Fiennes, I think he's said in an interview that when he was doing Harry Potter, he had no idea what he was even saying as Voldemort. So they're not bothered, which is fine. I I think it's a mistake to think that when people talk about how much they love these franchises, they don't. It's it's for marketing purposes that they talk about how great it is to be involved with these franchises. It's all marketing waffle. They don't care. Yeah. And when it's an actor, though, that's one thing. Like you, you are a vessel through which I get to enjoy this film. But if you're the director who has this beloved property in their hands and they're responsible for shaping it, that's unacceptable, in my yeah. opinion. If it, I, I feel as though, and I might just not have read a lot of the, you know, backlash that's come out about this. I haven't seen any, but this. Mark my words, a year from now, when this film is announced and there's a trailer, this will come back and bite him on the ass. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, or maybe they'll just sack him off because of the film that he's just made, which is... Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the hours, here are some hours. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you. This week's main review is for Love and Thunder. Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dad bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? The old ex-girlfriend. What's it been like, three, four years? (laughs) Eight years, seven months and six days, give or take. Am I uh, sensing feelings? In recent months, Doctor Strange faced off against his most formidable villain yet, five foot seven human man Tom Cruise in the Battle of the Box Office. Nobody could have possibly predicted 
that a miniature mere mortal would leave Marvel execs shaking in their boots. Battle-weary and ready to regain their former cinematic glory, Kevin Feige resorts to dirty tactics and recycles previous fan favourites in a desperate bid to erase the Scientology spell that Tom Cruise cast upon the world. Yes, Daydream Beefcake Chris Hemsworth returns in Thor, Love and Thunder, with abs and muscles protruding from every frame. Can Love and Thunder be anything more than shitty regurgitation of every Marvel film before it? Russell Crowe cameos. Thor embarks on a journey unlike anything he's ever faced, a quest for inner peace. However, his retirement gets interrupted by Gore the God Butcher, a galactic killer who seeks the extinction of the gods. Daniel, what did you think of Thor Love and Thunder? So I'll do my usual. I'll, every Marvel film that we watch, I'm not a Marvel fan. I'm just a mere ill-informed observer at this point. And because of that, I had no real expectations of this film. If anything, it'll be a fair amount of fun. This film starts with an introduction to, to Gore, the villain um, of the piece played by Christian Bale, and how he came to be. That was fine. What came after that is 30 minutes of... I, d- I don't think I could even call it set up. It just felt like a bit of meandering comedic moments that don't really blend together and definitely don't accelerate the story in any way whatsoever. And it did feel like there was a lack of progression for what is essentially a quarter of the entire runtime of the film. Then we get this dumbed down, mildly funny narration by Taika Waititi, bringing us up to speed with Thor's backstory, which I appreciated because I haven't even seen Ragnarok. Thor's brought in to assist the Guardians of the Galaxy with some random battle. And I'm not too sure, maybe you can fill in the blanks later, what the relevance or importance of that bit was, if there was any. I just thought, it's here, so they can go, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And it might have gone over my head, as I say, but the fact that they are there, I think it's meant to be a big deal. And I didn't get the sense that it was at all. Every single one of them was underutilised other than for the purpose of a cheap one-liner or visual joke. Some of them don't even say anything. Anyway, then we're introduced to Natalie Portman's Jane from the first few Thor films. Is she in the first one, actually? don't know that. Yeah, she is. Um, But she ain't not playing Jane anymore. No, no. She's an almighty god. She is Lady Thor. And then cue an onslaught of even more jokes amidst a really wafer-thin plot to stop the evil gore from murdering gods, which involves a trip to see Russell Crowe um, in a 10-minute section that's been thoroughly spoiled in the trailer, and you've already seen all the best bits. Then there's a final showdown. I, it feels like I am going over the entire plot here. I'm not. It's just it's that basic. <laughs> so there's this final showdown, and nothing spectacular happens. It plays out exactly as you might predict, and that is the plot as a whole, I think. I didn't find any of the action set pieces exciting or memorable. I only watched it yesterday and I couldn't tell you one now. I mean, in fact, I remember the chariot bursting through into whatever land they were in. That looked really naff, the CGI, in my opinion. Didn't like it. A big reason why I think the action and the plot doesn't work is that the stakes are just really, really, really low. Really low. 
and what's happening in terms of the threat that Gore poses is not underpinned by anything substantial in terms of like tension and drama because it's ruined by a joke in every single scene, bar one, bar one that we'll mention later on. And it's odd because the humour in this, it works, I think, to an extent. A lot of it does work and it is funny. So I'm not taking that away from it, but I don't know. Like they've always had humour in Marvel films or, you know, mostly have. And, the, you know, the audience was enjoying it. But in this, it just completely detracted from an already weak storyline. And I just felt completely disengaged with what was happening. So it's a bit of a weird one because it's, it's not an awful, like, you are going to dread being sat in that seat for two hours kind of film. It's just so, I don't, I don't even know what the word is. It's just so basic. There's just, I was expecting a hell of a lot more out of this. And I, I was surprised to find that even though I recommended it, Doctor Strange, I think my criticism of that was that the story wasn't great, but at least the villain had a real arc to her story. Doctor Strange didn't so much, and that's kind of... No, it is a bit more in this one that Thor does get his own story arc. I just didn't give a shit about it. Um, I had a lot more fun with Doctor Strange. This is a vacuous mess with no real drama. That's my final opinion. James, what about you? You've covered a lot of the same points that I was going to bring up. I didn't know whether to come down on this really hard or say, ah, it's not bad. And I'm still not really sure. Because I, I, I do like the cast. Chris Hemsworth is still good as Thor, even though it feels like a step back for the character, which I'll get into. Natalie Portman is is fine. I think it, it ends there, really. Like, they're, they're, they're both... <laughs> they're, they are both good. It's good. And Christian Bale is my favourite actor. He's He dominates every scene that... that he's in he brings a completely different quality and tone to the film but he's massively underused but christian bell is the best thing in it and then the two thaws they're also good i did i did chuckle i did laugh i did laugh at the screaming goats the first two times the 14th and 15th time not as much <laughs> i think the problem is that ragnarok was great and i think it is in my top three of marvel films it was a reset for the character the thor character wasn't working the dark world thor 2 wasn't good age of ultron he just hung around wasn't really much going on and they re they rebooted the character and then infinity war picked up on that character and chris hemsworth was, was still really good and the character was good and set aside end game and but this film love and thunder feels like a step back for the character it's like the regurgitating the funny side of thor without bringing in the incredible weight and tragedy and everything that he's been through because it's been pointed out that he's probably lo he's lost more than anyone he's lost his whole family and his planet his Asgard, whatever, whatever that is, and he failed to kill Thanos and all that. But none of that comes through. I'm not expecting it to be a deadly serious film. It's still a comic book film, but it's completely cast aside. And I think that's a major problem that the character is just a, it's a, complete, it's a complete joke. And 
the comedy overwhelms everything. What I would submit to you is that there aren't many jokes in the film. There's a few visual gags, but there's on, there's only a few jokes that just get repeated over and over again. The first one is Thor seeing Mjolnir as a sort of ex-girlfriend type thing. That whole, am I going to get Mjolnir back? Come back to me. Oh, you're with someone else. Oh, I'm jealous. That's one joke. Mm. They milk that. Thor failing to give serious speeches when he has to give a serious speech. They do that a few times where he'll speak in front of a crowd of children or adults and he'll meander and lose thought, lose track of what he's saying and just be a clown instead, which happens a few times and the goats screaming. So there's, it's just repetition of jokes and it's not very good. The plot is a serial killer killing people and kidnapping children while while one of the main characters is struggling with cancer. So how you take those ideas and make this is, is really strange. They cast all that aside and said, let's just do jokes and memes. And again, I'm not saying it needs to be serious, but if you look at the, the actual good MCU films, like The Winter Soldier, which is the best one, you know it is. There's a scene where Sam Wilson, Falcon, does a speech to his veterans group. He talks about trauma and PTSD and coming back to civilian life and stuff. It's just completely serious. They lay out the trauma theme and then they get on with the rest of the film. Whereas in this, there's no attempt to do anything interesting. Mm. It's just jokes. Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie, I thought she was good in Thor Ragnarok. In this film, she's stood in the background doing nothing it would have been better if she wasn't in it at all. I think they've kept her in because she's part of the Thor crew now, but what does she actually do? What's her story arc? She doesn't want to be king anymore, so she gets off on the adventure. Goes it off allows on the adventure. them to tick a box for diversity oh, and inclusion. Come on now, come on. Sorry. Okay. And she goes off. She goes off on the adventure and then doesn't really have much to to offer which is a shame because i thought the character was good you've mentioned the trailer the trailer does spoil everything there's no setting or set piece that is not in the trailer there's nothing in the film that will actually shock you or surprise you the action itself it's people smashing cg characters with hammers it's not engaging it's not good so i've decided now <laughs> yeah, i'm gonna come down hard on it and not just say it's not that bad. It's bad. Didn't like it. Wasn't into it. It's not... I know I've just admitted to getting some sort of sick joy out of like trashing these films. That's not entirely true. I'd, I'd much prefer they'd be good. I really would, because why wouldn't I? But it's how superficial it feels and how much of a filler film. Like for something that was hyped this much, you want so much more out of it, not something that just lands with a meh. It was all right. Like, if I'm being honest, it was all right, but I don't want this to be all right. I want it to be really good. I wanted to drag someone like me who's a bit on the fence. I might say, well, I'm not the biggest Marvel fanboy, blah, blah, blah. I've still seen a hell of a lot of them. So I, I'm, I'm still there, maybe contractually for this podcast, not the point, but they have the opportunity to keep people along or draw more people in. And something of this caliber is not going to do that because it's just mediocre at best. 
Yeah. Um, that's that's my main criticism of it. And with, with the money available and this cast, it should be so much better. Christian Bale, Russell Crowe, Natalie Portman. Yeah. Just those three. You should ha- you should have something better than this. Daniel, would you recommend Thor, Love and Thunder? 5.5 out of 10. I don't know what that actually means. No. James, you? Thor, Love and Chunder. No, I wouldn't recommend this film. That was in my first draft of my comedy summary. Oh, right, should we get to spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Before you expertly detail the plot, as you always do, could have gone in the other section. Taika Waititi, I liked the guy prior to this. I don't know why he's rubbed me up the wrong way. Did you notice the fact that, all right, we get the opening with go but that's not the real opening it starts with taika watita narration it ends with his narration he's in the film it came across as a bit of an ego fest yeah and it just started to grate a bit and i just think he might be pushing his luck and exposing himself a bit too much not in that way you know what i'm saying yes i think you're absolutely right cut what's it korg yeah, the Rock character. That character was good in Ragnarok because you didn't expect that voice to come out of that Rock body. And the few things that he did say was really funny, like shitty ghost. You can only do that once, mm. and it's done now. And having just that character just say mediocre jokes isn't enough. Is just, uh, don't know, tread carefully, Tyker. Tread carefully. You're on thin ice, mate. Anyway, James, do you want to break it down now? Christian Bale kidnaps the children as part of his scheme to kill all the gods. Why? He's trying to draw out Thor, steal Stormbreaker, open a teleportion, teleport portation gateway to eternity a being at the center of the universe and he wants to wish for the death of all the gods which he almost does but in a in a moment of enlightenment he decides that he's not going to wish for the death of all gods he's going to wish for his dead daughter to come back to life oh brenna she, com- she comes back yeah she comes back to life and the daughter is adopted by Thor. In the midst of all that, Jane Foster, or is it Jane Fonda, or is it Jodie Foster? <laughs> Genius. She is dying of stage four cancer, which is not really a serious thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's fine. Uh, but she does die because Natalie Portman has only signed on for one film. And that motivates Thor to adopt the daughter like nothing else to live for is he so yeah simple as that yeah and and that's it that's what happens that's what happens at the end so the detour to russell crow to the land of the gods is completely pointless and felt it the whole way through like apart from i'll admit 
I loved Russell Crowe in those scenes. He's having a bit of fun. That is the most light-hearted I have seen him be in anything. Maybe I've just not rinsed as much of his back catalogue as I should. But yeah, all the way through that, I was thinking, you're asking for something. I don't even know what the thing was called. His little lightning bolt. No, they're asking for the support of the gods and an army. Right, fair enough. Anyway, same principle. He's like, no, on your bike. Just so there's an excuse to have an action scene. And even when he supposedly, it's revealed later on in the post-credits sequence, that he's supposedly dead. I thought, what? Isn't that a bit drastic to kill Zeus in front of all these people because you just got to know? Like, where's your humanity, Thor? Anyway. Um, yeah. So, as always, well summarised. With the gods then and the god world and, and Zeus being a real literal person, a character, I brought this up with Eternals as well, and maybe it's just me taking it too seriously, but in the Eternals, they introduce a creation myth for humanity, which is that they were made by alien space robots, which I think is kind of a, a big a big thing to do in your cinematic universe. So the Norse gods exist, but now this, this film is also confirming that within the MCU, the Greek gods exist, and it's all just getting a bit too much. Because it would be fine if you only had Asgard and there were the god godly beings looking over everything. But if you have the Norse gods and Odin, but then you also have Zeus, who's the king of the gods, it was was Zeus the king of like did Zeus outrank Odin? I haven't seen the links. Where, like, where, like, where, like, where does this leave everything? Mm. And it, it, it's 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 too much. They throw they're just throwing it out. They're throwing out. Oh, let's have Zeus. That'll be funny. But is it? And what's happening with all these 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 gods? Are they just loads of gods? Actual real gods all over the place? And it's all the gods from all from all mythology that ever existed exist. They're real, and we can just dip into them whenever we feel like doing some jokes about gods. James, I don't know why you're being so harsh. You and I both know that in 25 films time, this will make complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I understand where you're coming from. It's uh, that's It just feels lazy. That goes back to what we were just saying before. And I, I got that sense just all the way through it. Like Thor and Jane, for example, rekindling that relationship. It's just done in a scene. They meet up, they're in each other's lives again, and then as soon as they get a moment alone, yeah, let's get back together. No hard work, no work, no groundwork to get that going. It's just the plot demands it, now kiss. Yeah. And I just... I mean, to be fair, it was the scene I was referring to before. There is a scene with Jane in bed after she has been exhausted of all the strength apply using um, Mjolnir or whatever you say, um, the hammer thing. <laughs> and that bit's serious, and there is not... The, the, the scene starts with a joke where Thor has smashed in a vending machine that he refers to as a fridge without a door. 
Uh, <laughs> very funny. But then it's quite a, a somber and serious scene, but that's the only real one. And you can't take the piss all the way through, not really have any real reason for them to get together and make me care about their relationship in that moment. I was just meh about it. What were, what were your yeah. thoughts? I had the same thought where they had to do a speed run through reintroduce reintroduce Jane Foster, Jane Foster, Thor and Jane get back together. They're really happy. Thor finds out she's going to die. She dies. And they do that within, they do that in less than two hours with everything else that's going on. And it goes through way too quickly and it has no impact. And like I said, I, you, I can't escape the fact that Natalie Portman didn't want to be in it anymore. She wasn't in it. They've kept the character alive off screen, which is very clever. And now that they've managed to find a way to bring her back, they've, they've brought her back, but it's only for one film. I, I can't shake, I, I can't just ignore that that's, that's what's happened. Mm. And that takes away from the story as well. Like you said, don't kid yourself thinking any of these people care about these films because they don't. Starring in them, I might say, because obviously yeah. a lot of people care about. And also, I, I I think that Natalie Portman's good, but having her and Thor share so many scenes, it took away from Jane Foster being Thor. It was awkward that they were both in the same costume. Yeah, I know they would they would never do this, and this would be too much. But it's almost like it would have been better having a, a separate film with Natalie Portman by herself as Thor. Let her be Thor by herself and then do a double Thor team up. Mm. Or not even have her as a Thor, have her get the powers of, powers of the Valkyrie or, or something. It just seemed a bit awkward having these two Thors, which means that you can't really have Jane Foster truly ascend yeah and it, it do even within the film though it's just a vehicle to <laughs> what she thinks might possibly you know mend her and, and recover her from cancer which then obviously has quite the opposite effect and she dies it's not even made into a big deal that she is female for it's just happenstance and that yeah there's just not a lot to it and me didn't work for me um i know you you didn't shush me as such but when i made my comments about tess thompson's character i'm gonna have this conversation with you and decide whether we leave it in um, i saw a few articles and i didn't read them in depth but it was uh headline only something around tessa thompson and taika watiti claim that this film is so gay and super gay were the, the words that they used. And there was a bit of a question mark over, are they over-promising here in terms of, especially with Tessa Thompson's character, what, what they're going to do in terms of representation and whatnot. And for me, I stand by what I said before. I did just literally think it is a box-ticking exercise and go, yeah, we covered that one off. Yep, we, we are representing in this film. We've covered off diversity and inclusion. There is a bisexual character. There's no exploration of that whatsoever. There are two throwaway lines, one of which was actually quite funny because it was Tessa Thompson, oh, I'm your competition with Jane sort of thing. That was quite good, but it's just there for the sake of it. And I think that, 
I don't want the complete opposite of that and it to be a whole film about that. It's nice to have that sort of inclusive message and, and have these people represented, but don't just do a cop out and have two lines. You're not exploring anything with that. That's how I felt with that. I don't know if you think yeah. I should cut that out. <laughs> no, because it's the problem it's a problem with Disney and Marvel baiting people and saying what they need to say, but actually they don't care. They've got no interest in these in these issues. They're just saying it because it's the thing, it's the thing to say. But when it comes down to it and when you're actually watching the film, they just it's it's a cop out. It's a complete cop out that can easily be chopped out to make the film acceptable in other places. And you're right, you're right. And if I and I wonder how if you were that actor, if you if you felt oh they're just doing this, would you like would you feel used? Would you feel like oh I'm just I'm part of this process of, of baiting people and making people think that this film is something that it's not? But yeah, there has there has been backlash about it. I've seen the backlash and people have actually influ- influential Twitter people have said you you've. You can't get away with this anymore. We see what you're doing. You're misleading people and you're just doing it to look like you care about things, but you don't. Yeah. I suppose the flip side of the coin with that is some representation is better than none, but you should really be trying to do something a bit, you know, more forward thinking than just, again, the word basic, something as basic as this. Anyway, um, Right, let's get off our soapboxes. You didn't, to be fair. It was me, so I'm not going to tie you with the same brush. Um, credit sequences. Only stayed for one of them. Yeah, same, same. But thanks to the internet, we know what the other one was. So first one, uh, Russell Crowe, presumed dead. He's not dead. Um, I don't even know what he said. I've forgotten. But basically, the whole part of that is, is it Hercules appears at the yes. end? And it's, oh, he's now got a vendetta. He's going to go after Thor. think that's what that's meant to insinuate. Yep, that's it. So we know who the next disposable villain is for the next film. Great. Thanks. Moving on. We see Jane Foster in Valhalla, or Heaven, with Heimdall, played by Idris Elba, who was brutally stabbed through the chest by Thanos. And it's unclear, fans are unclear on whether it's a send-off for the Jane Foster character or whether it's opening it up to her coming back from the dead, which I suppose is possible. It can be possible if the contract will allow for it. But I didn't like it. I don't like that, even though I didn't actually see it. I don't like this idea of Valhalla being an actual physical space where people can walk around and do stuff because in Thor Ragnarok when Odin dies he becomes golden space dust and floats away and he goes to Valhalla and it should just be this unseen unimaginable magical place it shouldn't just be another realm that you can just stand and walk around in it takes I think it takes too much away from the idea of Valhalla your idea of heaven sounds a bit daunting. I don't want to go there. I'm just like a floating head. I can't do anything. 
Um, so yeah, that's Thor Chug and Chunder. Um, don't bother if you <laughs> just wait, just wait for it to come on Disney Plus. The the time window now is so small, it's not even worth it. What is it now? Like seven 45, or eight weeks? It's 45 days. God, right. Okay, there you go. Wait six so, weeks. So so Doctor Strange is out is out now on Disney Plus. So you can just say I'm a Disney Plus viewer and you can just watch Doctor Strange now, enjoy that, watch that over every day for 45 days, and then wait for Thor to come out in 45 days time. So stand with us, unite, make a statement. Marvel, this mediocre fair is not acceptable. Just come on, put your thinking caps on, come up with something better than this. Stay at home, wash your hands, wear a mask, all that other stuff. Right, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to support this podcast, you can always do so by leaving us a five-star review and rating. And you can get in touch with us at in the Isles podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram where we sporadically post content or one of us does at least, the other forgets sometimes. James, I'm going to frame it a bit differently this week. If you were a god, what god would you be? I would be Hermes so I could run away from my problems. That went better than expected, right? See you next week. Tell us 